Welcome to the Tear Out the Tags podcast, where you learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how big and extraordinary you are. Let's get started. Hello and happy Friday. As you know, every other Friday we have a special guest and today is no different. I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today. I'm going to give you a quick introduction on her, but I'm also going to let her introduce herself. Lindsay has been through a lot in 2020 and she has an incredible and unique message that she is bringing us in 2021. Lindsay Blunt has a lot of labels. She's a wife, a mom, a doctoral student, an assistant to a dean, a writer, and a photographer. But recently, she had her entire identity completely uprooted when she took a 23andMe DNA test during the pandemic and found out some shocking news. In the last year, Lindsay has taken a deep dive into identity and its meaning down to its core root. She will challenge you to consider identity as being something that is not fixed as part of your being, but rather it is something that you learn and relearn as you go through life. Lindsay is currently writing her first book on identity shakeups, and she hopes her story will inspire everyone to rip out the roots of their identity and start creating a more true and authentic one. She is perfect for the Tear Out the Tag stage. Please give her a warm welcome and let's roll. All right, today on the show, I have a special guest named Lindsay Blunt, and I'm gonna do something different today. I'm gonna let Lindsay introduce herself to us. She has a really exciting story to share today, and it's a very unique story. So I'm gonna let her take the mic and just go ahead and tell us who she is. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm Lindsay Blunt. I am 39 and I'm a doctoral student. I have two little girls, they're six and seven. I am married to a military man and I am on a really interesting journey since the pandemic has, has sort of hit us. So that's me. So I want to dive into first kind of the six things written on most tags. So we'll go ahead through these six things and quickly kind of throw words out that are different things that people could identify you as. So first we're going to dive into the brand. So if I were to just meet you, and we have just recently met, so this is kind of a fun activity for me. What are the two things that I would see on the external part of Lindsay that would make me believe that I could brand you in a certain way? I think the first thing that people see without, without really knowing me is that I am a probably very typical suburban white mom. And then also, if you know me in the military circle, you would probably immediately think I'm, I'm just an officer's wife. I think that's probably a brand that people see when, before they know me. Yeah. And that word just is painful. It is very painful. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're quite accomplished and you have interest in a lot of areas, which we're mm-hmm. going to into. I love that you shared both of those things. Cause I think we have a habit of doing that with skin color, hair color, and sort of that generalization of tags. So next we're going to dive into size. Has size shown up for you in a way that has affected you in how you're able to show up or has there been any assumptions made about size in your life? Um, I think after becoming a mom, this is actually really personal, but, but we're on a podcast, so let's talk about it. So size (laughs) for me has been a struggle. I recently had a breast reduction, which had a lot to do with how my size 
I was perceived growing up. And then also just after becoming a mom that changed a lot. So I think large was a a thing that I thought in my head that people thought I was looking back now in pictures and, and who I am now. That's probably not how I could be categorized, but as a mom, I definitely have struggled with my size. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And it's interesting how we can feel a certain way yet. Others actually aren't perceiving us that way. When I look at you, I would never call you large. (laughs) That's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that with me. That, that is very personal. And I appreciate your candor there. The next category we're going to dive into is origin. So what are the, the five biggest checklist items that you grew up with? So you know, five things that you felt pressure to be just growing up in the family system that you came from. I, I'm a product of divorce. My, my parents were divorced when I was 12. So I think one is just being a a kid with lots of a very different family structure for the pressure of just living with two separate sort of worlds. That would be one. Um, I'm a daddy's girl. Um, my father passed away seven years ago, but I'm still a daddy's girl. And I think I, looking back on it and he did not put this pressure on me, but I definitely tried to live up to expectations that he probably didn't even have, but I just thought because I just wanted to make him proud of me. I think that's definitely one of them. Just being a good friend that, that definitely, I felt I have a lot of best friends and I have kept all of my friends growing up. Um, so just being, I don't know, sort of the origins of, they made me who I am. My friends have absolutely made me who I am. What number are we on? Three. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to come up with a few more. <laughs> and you don't have to, if it's three, that's no problem at all. Yeah. I think, and I think I loved, this is a very random thing, but I loved aviation ever since I was a little kid mm. and I went to college to be a pilot. And so I think if you ask people from high school, it, what is there something about me? They would say, oh, she wanted to be a pilot. Cause that's basically all, all I ever talked about. I actually dropped out of school. <laughs> um, when I was 18, I went to school at Embry-Riddle um, Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, and I had no business being in Daytona Beach at 18. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I paid for it. But um, I think that is definitely something that I felt a lot of pressure to try to prove, and it sort of backfired on me. Yeah. And do you still like aviation? Oh, yeah. I ended up becoming a flight attendant, and I loved it. And yeah, I'm, I'm still very much obsessed with airplanes. It's it's a big part of my life. I married a guy that's in the Air Force, not because he's in the Air Force, but it just happens to be that way. Our wedding was aviation themed. Uh, yeah, we're oh big airplane gosh, nerds. Cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. For, uh, you said you were 39, so I feel comfortable bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> for the age of 39, you've done so many things. I've lived a lot of different lives. I really have. Yeah, yeah I, I have done a lot of different things. Um, you're definitely a polymath and it's it's incredible all, all of the things that you have interest in, but also all the things that you've achieved. Mm-hmm. Are there yeah. any checklist things that came with religious beliefs or discipline, perfection in you know education, anything of that nature? Because I grew up in, and I guess what would be called a broken home. I didn't have a lot of expectations put on me about academics. I didn't have a lot of expectations put on me with religion. I grew up Catholic, but when my parents divorced, that sort of fell to the wayside a lot. So, and I grew up a very, very different. I think my childhood, it was not an easy childhood growing up. It wasn't the easiest of homes to grow up in. So I didn't have those expectations, but I placed them on myself big time. I think all of the expectations all came that I put on myself. So I was a really good student except for a few classes, but I was a good student and I didn't like drink or do drugs. I, I, I was sort of like, just, I tried to keep the straight and narrow as much as I could. Cause I was trying to go the opposite of how I was growing up, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Very cool. Well, the next one is material. And this is where our personality traits come in and are sort of woven together to make us uniquely us. And what we find is most people have a particular personality trait where it's been identified as a negative, but it's actually a positive in us and it's a driver for us, but maybe it's something we've had to curve. So for me, I am incredibly extroverted. And because I seek relationship and because I'm, you know, very invested in people, I can tend to like steal conversations or show up in a way where I don't leave space for others. And so it's been an area where it's both my superpower and something I've had to kind of pay attention to. So I'd love to jump into, you know, sort of a personality trait in your life that maybe stands out a little or that you're incredibly good at and you really appreciate that you have. I think I could echo what you said. I, I definitely, I can feel what you just said. I, I, I am the same. I think also I don't like to sugarcoat things. So I, I think a lot of my friends get a little upset because I'm not going to tell them like, oh, it'll be fine if I'm giving, mm-hmm. trying, I, I probably give more advice than I, I am not welcome to give. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> at, at fault. And I might be a little too hard on people sometimes, but I do it because I love them and I don't want them to go through maybe what I've been through. My little sister is one. I drive her crazy with just stay in college and do the right thing. Cause I dropped out of college. So I don't, she's a senior right now in college and I don't want her to do it. So I think at a fault, it comes from love, but yeah, I think that's a fault of mine, but I do like giving good advice. <laughs> I think you get a free pass there. Cause that's a, that's an older sibling. Acting <laughs> yeah. <older> sibling. <laughs> yep. So the next one we have is care instructions and this is more What was the self-talk that exists within you? Was it positive, negative, indifferent? Did you have moments where you would beat yourself up and kind of be hard on yourself? Or, you know, was that more of a trend in your life? And this is just sort of how we care for ourselves. Um, I, I think for until probably, honestly, until I became a mom, I think my self-talk was mostly negative and there's still times, I mean, I'll look in the mirror and I'm like, "Mm, this is not the body I had before I had kids. And I, I definitely can get into a spiral of negative self-talk, but once I had my babies, um, that has really propelled me to just say, screw it. I'm not going to use the F word, but screw it. I'm just going to do it. And and I'm way more determined and motivated. And my self-talk has, has turned because I know that my self-talk they're seeing that my, I'm raising two little girls and they're seeing that. So I'm really trying to raise them to have positive self-talk in their life. Like even every night before they go to bed, I have told them this every single night, but I tell them you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're worthy. And they yeah. now they they know what's going to come before I even say it, they'll say it. And so cool. we practice talk. We practice looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying you're beautiful. And cause I want them to learn that at six and seven. And even when they were two and three, they knew to do that. So I think my self-talk has changed when I became a mom. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a cool story. I like that. So the last and final category is foreign language. And I kind of explained this to you before we started the show. This is where our bully can show up. (laughs) Was there any particular story or word that was sort of attached to you, slapped to your back? Um, And sometimes these words are attached to us in creative and manipulative ways. So is there a particular trigger for you when I speak that that makes you remember a time where you were bullied or called something, labeled something that you shouldn't have picked up and attached to yourself, but perhaps you did. Yeah. I think the word unworthy pops up when you say that. And I think we've all been in relationships 
well, I can't say speak for all of us, but I think most of us have been in some relationships that weren't very healthy. And I, I was in one for five years before I met my husband. And most of it was, you'll never be XYZ. At the time I was a waitress and I actually loved being a waitress. I ended up being a flight attendant, which was basically a waitress in the sky, although right. they're there for safety, but still like I love serving people. I think that's one of the things I enjoy doing. And so this ex-boyfriend told me over and over again, you'll just be a waitress. I'll, I can never marry just a waitress. And, and that sort of like beat down on my self-esteem was intense. And I stayed in that relationship for way longer than I should have. Yeah. But yeah, the, the unworthiness of the, and I believed it too. And now when I look back on that 26 year old, 27 year old that I was, and now I'm getting my doctoral and I'm in a healthy functioning, loving relationship. And I have two beautiful girls and I'm in my dream home and I have my dream job. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I wish I could just shake her and just say yeah. like, get out of this relationship. I think he was talking more about himself. I think he was projecting. I think he felt those feelings about himself. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Uh, and that's what I think is so interesting about foreign language tags is you have this tag of unworthy that comes from the tag waitress, which is a role. And mm -hmm. that then is waitress in the sky. So you actually, yeah. it's, it's turns into a positive there. Yeah. And from there you went to serving people which is an, obviously a very positive tag that you wear quite yeah. proudly. And I see that in you just in the few interactions we've had that you do serve people and that's your mission, which I think is, is so interesting. And the foreign language tags do get kind of confused and muddy through mm -hmm. our younger years when we don't know how to protect ourselves and defend ourselves. So I really appreciate you sharing that part of your story because that's a pretty pr profound way that he was able to break you from serving people down to you know, you'll always just be this. You'll always be yeah. So that's yeah. a powerful story. And I will say waitresses are like the hardest working people oh my gosh. ever. Yeah. So <laughs> if I was just a waitress, then I was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I believe anyone who, who feels way towards service workers should work in the service industry yeah, because absolutely. most people that feel that way have never actually walked in those shoes and have no idea how hard it is. I yeah. echo that. Now we're going to dive into, we've, we've introduced Lindsay. You guys kind of know, you know, what people would make assumptions about her. She's revealed a lot of really cool personal things. And now we're, we're going to dive into how Lindsay's life has been rocked this year during this pandemic and kind of how it came about. So I want to start at the beginning. Tell me about your parents' divorce, your family system, and sort of the beginning of where this began to unfold in your life. Yeah. So as I said, my parents were divorced when I was 12 and my dad stayed in Florida where I'm from. And my mom and I moved to New Jersey and my mom got remarried. And when I was 13, my stepfather, he had a lot of issues and challenges. We'll just say, and, and wasn't a very good man to me. He told me that my father was not my real father. And so I called my dad right away and I'm like, you know, my stepdad's saying this and he's like, that's not true. He's lying to you. He's just trying to upset you. So my mom, however, was very, please don't tell her like yelling at my stepdad, don't tell her, don't tell her. So clearly there was some truth in what he was saying. But I, after that fight, I just chose to believe my dad. And I was like, you, you're both lying. I don't believe you. You're both crazy, whatever. So when I was 18, my mom sort of sat me down and said, well, you know, your stepfather's telling you, he has been telling you the truth. Um, I used a donor, your donor conceived. And I called my dad right away. And he's like, that is not true. So I sort of spent my twenties, not real like I believed my dad, I think because I so wanted to believe my dad because my dad was, he passed away seven years ago, but he was the most amazing human being ever. I mean, he just was 
if you look up dad in the dictionary, it was him. He was incredible. So I think I just really wanted, sorry, I'm very sorry for your loss. I I feel how much that loss still is with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's still part of my life and and many beautiful ways. But so I think I just really wanted to believe my dad and it it felt easier to sort of make my mom the villain in this because I didn't want my dad. I didn't want to think that my dad could be lying to me. I think when I'm looking back at it. So seven years ago, I was pregnant with my first daughter and it was six weeks before my dad, I, I gave birth six weeks after my dad died, but a few months before he died, I was visiting him and I was very pregnant and we were going for a walk. And I said, you know, dad, I have this little baby in my belly and, and she's going to grow up and this is her ancestry and this is her bloodline. And I just want to know the truth. I can't like become a mom and not know who I am. And so he said, okay, I'm not your biological father. And I said, okay, well then did mom use a donor? And he's like, I don't know anything about that. And then he passed away. So he took that truth to his grave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent the last seven years still believing my dad, still not believing my mom. I assume that my mom maybe had an affair and that my dad was telling the truth. So then the pandemic hits and we're all forced into this, this like stillness and silence. And I looked at my husband one day and I'm like, I am never going to know the truth. And I just need to know the truth. So and if I can interrupt, yeah. was that? feeling nagging at you for seven years or did you kind of just compartmentalize it move forward and try to leave it behind you well so my my stepmom my dad's well it's it's his ex-wife but I still call her my stepmom because she's amazing but my stepmom she had done 23 me um like a year ago and she's like you got to do it it's so neat you get to learn all of this ancestry and she's telling me all these people that she's learned she's related to. And then my little sister did it too. And she's like, you got to do it. It's so great. And I kept thinking, I'm, I don't want to know the truth. I wasn't ready to know the truth because I kept feeling like it was a slap in the face to my dad. Like my dad is my dad. I don't need to know who my biological father is because I have a dad. And you can't process through that with him because he's no longer here. Right. I want to make sure we clarify too, to the audience that your little sister is your half sister, correct? Yes. Yes. She's, we share a mom. Yes. Yes. My stepdad and my mom. She didn't get these same things revealed because she, her lineage was your mom and stepdad. And just so our audience kind of recognizes that it's confusing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, and I mean, it's such a woven story. So I just kind of want them to know that when you went to consider doing this, you knew that your results were going to reveal something quite different than it meant maybe that your stepmom and your, and your little sister had gone through. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought I would find out about ancestry and for some reason, I only thought maybe I'd find the bio father. And again, because the pandemic sort of, sort of forced us into this stillness where we couldn't use our usual coping mechanisms to avoid the truth and to keep our minds busy. Like for me, target shopping was a big, big thing (laughs) pre pandemic. Um, and plus I was just busy going to work, picking up the kids, going to cheerleading. I mean, it was like a nonstop thing, taking my kids to cheerleading practice. So yeah, when I didn't have all those things to keep my mind busy, I really was like, okay, I need to know where I come from. And it's not, it's bigger than me now because I have two little girls now they're, they were five and six at the time. And this is their bloodline and their lineage and their tree. And they're going to school now one day, they're going to make a family tree and they deserve to be able to put their grandfather on there. Yeah. So I did it. Well, and and also the health background, right. Talk about a prior conversation about knowing if there's any health risks, if there's anything that we need to kind of be watching for as moms, which is a big piece of the pressure that comes with that role and that tag that we wear just as parents. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I did a 23 me test and the results came back super fast, like faster than I've ever heard anyone's results come back. So I wasn't even expecting them for another two weeks. My husband took the girls, they, on my kids horseback ride, took them horseback riding. And it was like a Saturday morning and my phone dinged from 23 me. And I thought it was just telling me that like, they're on to the next step of my DNA process. And it said results. And I immediately went right to the relatives and six half siblings were on there. So that means that either my biological father had a really crazy time in the eighties or I'm donor <laughs> conceived and my mom was telling the truth. So and I is that what you initially thought? Did you initially go to, okay, I am donor conceived. I did. I did go to that. Yeah, I did. I was like, oh my God, my mom is telling the truth. <laughs> and, and then my next thought was, oh my God, I, I've basically just been awful to my mom all of these years. And so the, like the guilt set in also that like, how am I going to call her and tell her that I'm so sorry? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we can talk about that too. I'd love to ask you too, to go back to that time. And how did you navigate through the confusion? Cause you were at an age, you couldn't process this fully, if really even partially. So when you were ages 13 to let's say 22, how did you handle the confusion of all these parts that came out? I think, and those years are really hard anyway. On a girl, teenage years and early twenties is really stressful and dramatic. Also, um, I, I, I think I, I so desperately wanted to believe my dad that I think I pushed a lot of it aside. I mean, I did have moments. I remember one time, and this just came to me. We went on a class trip. I, I grew up in New Jersey, and we went on a class trip to New York. And I remember we were at the New York Library. And we walked inside and there was a man that sort of looked like me. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I wonder if that's my dad. <laughs> so I did have moments where I would let, and I'd like from this poor guy was probably like, what is this kid staring at me for? But I did have moments where I'm like, oh, maybe. And, yep. and there were also moments growing up. Like I said, I didn't, it wasn't an easy way of growing up. And there were times where I would have an argument with my stepdad. And I remember thinking there's somebody else, there's another biological father out there. Like maybe he's rich. Maybe you can take me away from all of this because I didn't tell my dad a lot of what was happening in my house um, because I wanted to protect my mom um, yeah. also. And right. that's a whole nother story, but. Well, yeah. And yeah, that's a yeah. whole, those blended family tags come with yeah. a lot of. They do. Yeah. I can relate to a lot of pieces and portions of that as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so fast um, forward back to, sorry, where you were in the story, you've, you've decided to take this test. You've gotten the results quite quickly. You get this ding Saturday morning. You're, you're by yourself. Yeah. Yep. I was sitting in my library and I got the ding and opened it up and saw six half siblings. And I emailed them all right away. Cause that's just how I am. I don't like to, you know, I just like to get, get the answers. And one of them messaged me right away. And I said, can I just call you? I like what is happening right now. And she called me and she's like, well, you're donor conceived and we're all donor conceived. And the story <laughs> that she had is the same story my mom had, that it was a med student in Georgia in the early eighties. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So she's like, okay, but before you freak out about the six, there's seven more on ancestry. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing, but I can't imagine it's, it's what was going on inside of your, like, I'm, I'm imagining like your gut, your stomach, your chest, like the heat that was sort of going through your body. Is oh yeah. For this. And is there joy in that initial realization? Is there peace? Is there like just this heavy weight? Like what was the initial emotion that you went through? So I think 
there was adrenaline for sure. I definitely was on mm. adrenaline that whole day because I got to talk to, I think I talked to three of my siblings that day. Mm. It was a whole day event. I mean, my, I basically blocked out my family, God love them, and just sat outside and talked on the phone with my siblings. And they had a lot of information that um, more about the donor, not who he is, but they had like the donor ID. They knew what sperm bank that we all came from, which I didn't have those answers because my mom didn't have those answers. She didn't, she didn't have any paperwork or anything. She's one of the few moms that didn't have any paperwork, but so I got, especially the donor ID. There's a, there's a website it's called donor sibling registry. And in my early twenties, I tried to go on there to see like, oh, maybe I am donor conceived, but you need the donor ID to be able to match. Mm. And that was the, like this four digit number held over me in my twenties because I just needed that number. And I actually, two of my siblings were on it um, like 20 years ago. So I would have actually matched with them had I just known those four. And then my sibling just says them and I'm like, oh my God, there they are. They're, there's the numbers I've been searching for. Um, so it was, this is such an incredible puzzle, really. Like yes. the only word I can use to describe how it feels mm-hmm. as a, an audience of your story. I like emotional hearing you go through this adrenaline and and I'm just imagining sort of like the blood that's pumping through you at this oh, point yeah. and connecting with these siblings who you had mentioned, you actually have a lot in common now that oh, yes. connected. Can you like share that with us? Yeah. Well, the first conversation with my sibling, when she called me, it, I felt like I was talking to myself. We have the same voice. We sound yeah. exactly the same. And we also, when we get really excited, we stutter, stumble over our words. We interrupt. We're, we're just the same human being. It's so creepy. And then I talked to my next sibling and I'm like, Oh my God, we do the same thing. And even one of my brothers, we talk real fast and get really excited. And so that was really neat. And then I'm, then I'm like looking them up on Facebook as I'm talking, I'm, I've got them on speaker and I'm stalking them on Facebook as you do. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's where my nose comes from because my nose is not on my mom's side at all. And that was another thing like growing up, like, "Mm, I don't look like my dad after all. Um, this nose and chin, nobody has this in my family. Um, so to see like, oh my God, there's my nose on all of these people. That was, it was neat to be able to finally see myself. I mean, I, I look like my mom too. There's definitely times where I'm like, oh my God, we're twins. But to see other parts of me that I have pulled apart from my mom has been really neat. And then their kids look like my kids. So I'm seeing that my kids look oh like their goodness. cousins, which is really neat too. That's There's cool. 23 cousins right now. <laughs> well, and I would imagine, and I don't know that we could make this assumption, but I would imagine back then when your biological father was donating all this sperm. And I say all this because we're going to dive further into the story. There's <laughs> a lot more coming in this amazing story, but I would imagine that when he was donating, he didn't think about that there would be all these people walking around with his traits. Perhaps he did because he's in the medical profession, but it's just an interesting idea to think that he could be producing, you know, half of the genes of all of these, these people. Yeah. And we can go in, we'll go in more to the donor, but I don't think he was thinking that. I think he was thinking more of like a science sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want, we can, I mean, we can go into that. <laughs> yeah, no, well, first I want to dive into, so you've discovered all these siblings and how many total are there then right now? Cause you've actually had a few come into play since yeah. this discussion. Since, since I came on board, four more have popped up. One, one came two over, the, over the summer around the same time. 
And then another one popped up on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving day. He found out that he's donor conceived. And then a few, like maybe a week and a half later, we had another brother pop up. And then those two, those two brothers are actually the oldest and they came from the same clinic, um, in the same city, which is crazy that their moms were pregnant at the same time. They're only four months apart. So that's been interesting. So how many total are there? So we're at 19 right now. We're at 19 siblings right now. You're at 19 siblings. And I, I, last time we talked, I laughed because you said we're creating a pamphlet for (laughs) the people who are, who we know we're going to continue to find. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to dive into the science background and the medical background of your bio father and why you believe that there are many, many more to be revealed. Yeah. So a few days after I found out about my siblings, we saw that there was a second cousin that um, we're all DNA connecting with, which means it's the the biological father's first cousin. So we messaged her and we said, Hey, do you know of a, a guy that was, a, maybe he's a doctor now, but he was a med student in the early eighties at your first cousin. And she's like, uh, no. So I said, well, can we, can we do your family tree? So one of my sisters did the whole family tree of this woman and we were missing one person. So she was able to figure out who that person was. And that person had a son and that son went to medical school. So we knew it was him. And then we have realized that we, we sort of follow his career based on where we're born and the ages that we are. He was donating in multiple States in different years. And so we come from those States in those years. Mm. So our age ranges are, they are the late seventies to the late eighties. It's like, I think it's like a 13 year spread that we know of right now. Um, our, biological father is very, very successful, very Googleable in his, um, in the public eye in his state. We can't say who he is legally, but he was in the field during the time that he's no longer now, but during the time that we were conceived. So we know that he was probably donating for 14 years within labs that he was working at. So it's a very real possibility that our numbers are probably in the hundreds. We, we probably have at least a hundred siblings, given the fact that we know that 19 of us have done DNA tests. It's only a matter of time before more show up. So because every time a new sibling comes on, we're sort of onboarding them. They have to learn about all of these siblings, which I know feels so overwhelming. I mean, for me, 20 people, that's a lot. Yeah. And I, and out of the 19, 13 of us talk, um, the 19 we're adding, the donor has two kids of his own. They're in their thirties. We don't, they're sort of off limits. We have all agreed that we would never contact them. That's their father's place to tell them, not us. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people on the DNA sites that just have not responded to our emails. And for whatever reason, they're on their own journey. So yeah. there's 13 of us now that um, we've sort of created this really close bond. Yeah. So we, every time a new sibling comes on, we're having to one, sometimes often tell them that they're donor conceived because sometimes they're finding out on a 23andMe or ancestry test. And then they have to learn about their 13 siblings and all of our lives. Cause we all have, we all come from very different backgrounds. We are spread out all over the United States. We are literally coast to coast. And then, and then we help them process all of it. And that's a big undertaking. And then they have their first zoom with us. So it literally is like <laughs> onboarding a new sibling yeah. every time. Well, and I and would we, imagine you at least kind of had the confusion that led to you believing it could be a possibility. I would imagine that some of them we're just very shocked and rough yes. under them to find this out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, some found out and some were thought that it was a scam. No. <laughs> some thought that they, 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 they saw that all these siblings were popping up at the, and we were emailing them and they were like, no, this isn't real because 
donor conceived never even popped in their head because a lot of my siblings actually look like the dads that raised them, which is crazy. Interesting. So they just never even thought that they could be donor conceived. So the 23andMe test or the ancestry test. Yeah. Well, and you are, you're getting your PhD and what is specifically are you getting your PhD in? So I'm actually getting an EDD like Dr. Joe by or Jill Biden. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm getting an EDD in it's higher education. So okay. What is it? Procedure. What is an EDD? I don't know what that is. It's, it's just another, it's a doctoral in just education. It's just another okay. thing. So the PhD is more research-based and they usually go on to be professors. And the EDD is, is dealing with things that are happening right then and there and creating policies, procedures, okay. um, those kinds of things. Yeah. But you do have a fair amount of researcher in you. As oh, yes. You wear, you're very, you're, you're seeking more information on this. So yeah, I probably know more about the donor than he knows about himself at this point because that's sort of my coping <laughs> mechanism is to research. My siblings call me the sleuthing sister because I know a lot right now. <laughs> but you're also revealing all these details that have clarified so much for you in your life, and so yeah. that has to be very relieving to put all the pieces in place that you were that you were really void of as a child or really not given fully to you as a child. I'm curious, and this is where I really want to dive deep into is. How has this completely changed your identity in a matter of really moments, but during this 2020 year, this pandemic that we've just walked through? Yeah, I think this identity shift, I think it's a universal identity shift because I was already going through it before with the pandemic. I think none of us can go back to the person that we were before the pandemic. I, my label, my tag would probably be crazy mom before the pandemic. I was just <laughs> running around all the time. Um, yeah. (laughs) And just nonstop. And, and so who I am now is I will never be the person I was before the pandemic. So that identity shift has changed a lot. And then to have this sort of identity down on my roots, um, to have, I mean, literally my roots have been unearthed. That's been incredibly profound. It has, it has changed and shaped how I raise my kids, how I handle people, how I talk to people, I I can empathize with people that are going through identity issues now where I couldn't before. Yeah. It's, it's very different to sort of feel like your identity less. And I would like to go on a little bit more about the donor. We wrote him a letter and there was nine of us that wrote him a letter at the time. And we basically just wrote a cover letter. And then some of us wrote individual letters and some put pictures of themselves. And I think for the most part, they were pretty heartfelt letters Um, And we, we said, we don't want anything from him and and we're all successful in our own right. My siblings are incredible people. So we just wanted maybe medical information, maybe how many times he donated. So we know how many more siblings are popping our way, (laughs) how many more we have to onboard. Um, That would be nice to know. And um, are you going to be able to get your own insurance group insurance? Yeah. Do we, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Do we need a party bus for what is happening? So yeah. And I, I had put in my letter that I'm not looking to replace my dad because I mean, my dad is my dad, but it would be nice to have a friend. Um, I would, I would love to have a friend in him. We are in similar industries right now and we run in the same circles. We know a lot of the same people. So I thought maybe, and these are huge expectations that I placed on someone. He owes me nothing, but I was like, maybe in my big dream of what could happen, maybe he would come in my dissertation defense. If I'm being honest with myself or maybe he would just say, congratulations. But instead he sent me an email. And again, I think it's because we are running in the same circles. He sent me an email and he said, I received your FedEx package. I want to be empathetic when I say that I am not the man you're looking for. I understand what you and your colleagues have gone through. So he called 
us, his kids, colleagues, but I don't wish to be contacted further. And so mm-hmm. that shakeup, that was a whole nother identity shakeup because the very reason I exist is denying my existence. He's basically right. saying I don't exist. Right. And so right. I, I sort of that identity list for a little while, like I've just sort of floated for a few days, like am I even real then? Like what, am I just a science experiment? Is that all I am? Well, and in some ways you've probably felt like you were being called a liar. Yes. He's really denying that he's the person you're looking for. Yeah. And we know he, we know it's him. We, we have since, since that letter, we have DNA matched with a lot of people on his mom and dad's side. So we, we know it's him and, and there's a bunch of other things that I can't actually say on air, but there's a bunch of other things that have pointed us that it's definitely him. So it feels very like rich, powerful man, silencing a woman to cover up his lies. That was my initial gut. Like, Oh, like, how could you do this to somebody that I get is not someone you look at as your child, but is still like 50% of who you are. It it just felt, it felt, it was like gut wrenching to get that email. Yeah. And just needing that validation. Not, and needing probably isn't, it's more wanting, wanting that yeah. validation and not getting it is a yeah. little bit sobering. So you found a coping mechanism through this that is a new tag that you're wearing. It's a new role. It's a new hobby. It's a new profession. And yeah. I, I'd love for you to kind of explain why you needed this new thing to cope through finding out all this information and how it's now delivering you into something totally new and exciting and, and then we'll dive into what you're building with it. Yeah. So, and I think this is true, just even if I had not gone through this sort of identity shakeup, the pandemic was enough to, that could have spurred this too, but because I couldn't escape my four walls, because we, I couldn't use my typical coping mechanisms of like going to work. Cause that's a coping mechanism going to work and not having right. to think about things. You can get away. I Absolutely. couldn't do that. Couldn't go to Target, couldn't shop, couldn't do, couldn't even go to the park at this in May because you couldn't even walk around in public any without a mask on. So, so I picked up a camera. We had a camera in our closet that's been sitting there since we got married. And I picked up a camera and I started taking pictures of like nature. And then I started taking pictures of my kids. And then I started calling my friends that are photographers. And I'm like, how do I, how do I use this camera? (laughs) Um, And I found out that I loved it. And I would, and I started taking pictures of my friends and their kids. And I would come home and I, was just elated and, and excited. And my husband kept saying like, your eyes look wild and not like a crazy way, but like what our daughter's eyes look like when they're seeking joy, when they're chasing yes. joy, when they're living in joy, which is what kids, that's all they do is they're just right. one joy after the next. That's just what they do. So what I realized is that I had created something, a brand new identity that had nothing to do with my biological father, my siblings, my mom, like nothing. It had, I, as a photographer, I'm not a military wife. I'm not a mom. I'm, I'm none of that. I am. I'm just me and this brand new me. So I think twofold. I think it was it was good because it pulled me out of what was happening, and I got to flex a creative muscle that I never knew I had. Which I will say, creativity runs through my siblings. It's a very DNA thing, and I love my mom. She's creative, but she's not like creative like me and my siblings are. So, and we all feel that came from our biological father. So I was also like leaning into something that maybe I had pushed away for a long time because it wasn't normal in my family to be a writer or to do all those things. Yeah. And so I, it sort of has taken off. I had one, I just was using my name as a photography business and now I'm launching a brand new business. It's, it launches now in the beginning of February, I have a branding consultant and a website designer. It's going to be called Embers and Grace. And I'm beyond excited about it. So something beautiful has come out of this identity shakeup. 
pulling those roots sometimes can be okay. Yeah, I agree. Well, and that name just covers so much of what you've walked through, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot that's kind of been burning and smoldering and and not revealed. And now this grace that you're stepping into both for yourself and for this donor. And then you've got all these siblings that you're showing by like pulling them in. I mean, I just think it really encapsulates both what you're still navigating and just who you are and your essence as a person. And you're going to be incredibly successful. Thank you. All of Lindsay's information too in the show notes so that you can follow Embers and Grace and Lindsay's story as she just continues to share it with the world. Lindsay, when we first had a conversation and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but you shared something with me that was so profound about identity not being, and I don't remember the word, but you talked about identity being fluid. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we think of or that we are trained to believe that we can become more in our lives, especially out of the confines of being raised in a maybe, quote, you know, nuclear, normal family. So do you remember how you shared that with me? Because I'd love for you to share that with the audience. Yeah. And and so I totally stole this from Carol Dweck. She talks about growth mindset. She talks about intelligence. She says that our intelligence isn't fixed. It's a growth mindset. So you're not born to be great at math. You can learn math. And so getting my doctoral, I've learned a lot about Carol Dweck. And so what I've realized is that it's the same for identity. Um, I don't think our identity is fixed. It's not something that is ingrained in us. It's, it's something that we can learn. And I feel like I'm living proof in that, that I believed I was 50% German. My dad was German and I had this amazing German grandmother who came over from in Germany during world war II and she was strong and powerful and her blood runs through my veins. And that has got me through sometimes where I didn't feel so strong. And I'm like, I'm, I'm her, I'm Amory's granddaughter. Like I can do this. And then that massive shift of, oh, I'm not even biologically related to her. And she doesn't, she's nowhere near my blood and I'm 0% German. I'm a hundred percent British. Um, my biological father's fam- family came here in the 1600s where I thought my family came over here in like 1940. So yeah. that's been like a, a huge thing for me to realize that this fixed part of my identity that we all believe our ancestors are so fixed. A 23 me test can completely unroot that. And all that I thought I realized were just me thinking those things. They weren't actually ingrained in me. They were me admiring my grandmother. And I believe that I am still, she, I still have her a little bit in me because I, I admired her and I wanted to be like her. So I did that, but that was something that I learned. I learned that identity. It wasn't something that was fixed in me. So same true that if like, if I have alcoholism in my family, I, I get that that can be something that I can be a fixed part of my identity, but I can relearn a different way of a life that doesn't include that. And so for me, I haven't drank alcohol in nine years because, and not because I was an alcoholic. I mean, I was, I had a lot of fun in my twenties and, and <laughs> not, I did not have a problem with it at all, but I realized that I need, this is, this isn't going to be a fixed part of who I am. I'm going to relearn yeah. this part of my identity. And so right. that's been incredibly powerful for me to realize that even down to your roots, no matter how you were conceived. So I am not a science experiment and Contrary to what my biological father might believe, I'm not a science experiment. I'm a human being. I'm real. I'm walking around in this world. I'm not a donation or if, well, even donor is a weird word because they sell it. They don't donate, but that's a whole nother topic, but I'm I'm not something that was sold. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm this real walking human being. And every single thing that I have done to get to, 
where I am today has nothing to do with my biology. It has everything to do with how I relearned my identity over and over again. And that's, that's been really powerful. And really, man, you revealed a lot in saying that, that, that could be a whole nother podcast (laughs) donor sperm beings and not donated. So man, that's, that really hit. There are, and that's the United States in the UK and Australia there, it's illegal to sell it. They are, they are actual don't, they are donated, but in the United States, that's not the case. And egg donation is a, a big thing right now. They, they actually cater to college students. They're, they'll tell college girls, you can make $7,000 donating your eggs. And their girls are not thinking that they're creating a human being that's going to have that down the line is going to take a 23 me and want answers of why yeah. you did that. And it's going to be hard to the, tell them you did it for money. <laughs> yeah. We're back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. They didn't know this was coming, which no, there was no internet, right? There was no internet. <laughs> there was no DNA tests. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my, I'm sure my biological father is like, Oh my God, what yeah. did I do? Yeah. That would be a little bit haunting for him for sure. And it's interesting because you cover kind of all of these different roles very equally and you really reveal kind of what he's stepping through, what you are stepping through, what your mom is stepping through and what this must have been like for your dad also before he passed. I, I really appreciate you sharing so candidly this story. And I think it's such a perfect example of how our identity not only can be changed, but can be shaken up and can mm-hmm. sort of just reignited and taken to a whole nother level of self and sense of self. As you are now walking in 2021, hopefully out of this pandemic year that we've just walked <laughs> through, what is the biggest tag that or the label that you are giving yourself that you proudly are going to wear through this year and everything that you're building now? Um, I have a few, but I, I think powerful is probably the biggest one. I don't think that I've been, I think I've been living maybe not small, but I think I I feel empowered right now to speak my truth. I think when my biological father wrote me that email, he effectively tried to silence me in, in a way by saying, I, I do not wish to be contacted further. Um, and I, I don't say his name because I don't, I, I'm not interested in retaliation for that, but I do feel like that my voice and, and who I am deserves, deserves to have a space outside of whatever he believes that I deserve to have. And so I, I think empowered is probably a really big tag for me right now. Yeah. You are a remarkable person and I'm so appreciative that you came on the show today. And Lindsay, real quick before we say goodbye, and I just wanted to dive back in here for a second because I didn't give you an opportunity to point everybody in the direction where they can get in touch with you. I think we're going to have people that have interesting questions for you or just want to see how this journey unfolds. So everything will be linked in the show notes, but I would love for you to tell us where can we find you and get in touch with you and follow your journey. So for this journey, you can follow me at Lindsay Elise Blunt. It's my Instagram. You'll see a lot of pictures of my kids right now, but eventually I'm going to start posting more about what's going on. Um, my hope is that one day I can reveal who my biological father is. My siblings are incredible people and it would, and I would love with their permission to be able to start to do that as well. But anyway, you'll follow my journey of, of what this new identity is. And then Embers and Grace will drop in February. So you can follow yes, that. So also, it's, There's a lot of things coming for Embers and Grace. It's not just going to be photography. So I'm really excited. Yes. Yeah. I have no doubt about that. Thank you so much again. And you are just going to do some amazing things. So I will definitely be following. Thank you. Thank you.